So before we get into episode 24, we have a really great announcement for you guys. We have launched our Patreon. It is patreon.com slash but why T though? Yes, there's an extra T. I'm working on that. You can go ahead and sign up there for exclusive content and hopefully some merch along the way. Uh, you can donate as little as a dollar a month and it really helps us out. And on top of that, make sure that if we miss anything in this episode that you really want to hear more in depth about, let us know and Matt will cover it every Monday and Friday on the other side of the wormhole streamed on twitch.tv slash but why though PC. Enjoy the show, guys. Welcome back to But Why They're the Podcast, where we talk about the things in pop culture that people say matter and ask the question, but why though? On today's episode, we're talking about biggest genres of podcasts right now, and probably one of the biggest genres of television, I would say personally, true crime. As always, I'm your host, Kate, and I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And our super, super, super special guest, Brianna from the Murder Dictionary Podcast. Hello. We're very excited to have you on. And uh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, I have listened to you a lot. So I'm, I'm like super pumped. It's like I'm talking with an idol here. Just, just saying. <laughs> you make my work less dull. Not that I don't hate, I, I love my job, guys, but it helps to have no, I get it. in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I listen to you guys at work too. So we're on the same level with that one. I love the show. So yes. thank you so much for having me. So, as we always do, we're going to start off with a question. And that question is, are you into true crime? Why, and why do you enjoy listening to or watching information about crimes? This is pretty much the question that people in the true crime community get a lot. Um, Matt, you want to go first? Sure, why not? I don't know if I'm into true crime right now, as I don't really listen to any of these podcasts about true crime. I don't watch TV, as I've said multiple times over the past month or so being on the podcast. But I do know growing up and when I lived at home, I know I watched a lot of true crime, whether it be investigated discovery type or true TV type TV shows or whether it be like your Fox type crime shows and ABC and whatnot. I know basically one of my favorite shows was probably Most Evil from Discovery Channel that ran from 2006 to 2008. We talked about the psychology of true crime or yeah. anything else. I was about to ask, like, what, what part of those shows made you like it? I enjoyed basically the psychology of it. Um, I enjoyed, I guess, weird, like, why they thought it was great to do it. I guess what, I guess the reasons of why they wanted to, not more of like, oh, they killed somebody cool, but like, why and the needs they felt to do it and whether it brought them excitement whether it brought them you know uh like the mind of the serial killer versus what they actually did kind of like the movie mr brooks which i my favorite of one of my favorites Hmm. Uh, and i'm gonna throw it to adrian because i think uh made fun of me before on the podcast for my true crime this is is gonna be a lot like the horror episode um (laughs) for our listeners who listen to that i'm gonna be like on the on the outside looking in during this whole episode because I don't like true crime. The whole thing just makes me feel uncomfortable. And if you guys have learned anything from me during this thing, I like watching things that make me feel happy and excited. I don't like watching stuff that makes me feel uncomfortable and sad. And that's what true crime makes me feel. <laughs> and when I was a kid, it scared me. Like, uh, like America's Most Wanted, 
it was on TV scared the absolute crap out of me when I was little. Because I like, like, these are real people on the streets killing people. That's that's not fun for me. Uh, and <laughs> definitely fair. Stuff, it's 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 just not for me. Uh, I don't really know why it's for other people either. So I'm hoping to learn a little bit today. I will definitely. It's all weird. We will definitely get into that. For me. Obviously, I have made references to Lead and Paint and MK Ultra in other episodes, leading to the like high kill, the high serial killer rates in the 1980s. So I know a lot about true crime. Um, I would say that the first podcast I listened to was actually my favorite murder, um, and that kind of got me down the big wormhole of stuff. Speaking of wormhole, was it MK Ultra, the CIA program? Yes. That talking about? Okay. That had laden, like they had trained all these people subconsciously, and then they'd get, yeah. Okay. Yes. Anyway, back to why I like true crime. So, I love it. Um, I would say I've binged a bunch of shows. Um, I work at a desk, so for eight hours hours a day, I'm listening to podcasts or watching really bad TV shows on Netflix. But I'm actually really intrigued by it. I actually don't know why I'm intrigued by it. I know what I like about it, but I can't remember that first moment when I was like, oh, I really love this stuff. It was more like my parents watched, my mom loved America's Most Wanted, loved watching Law and Orders, and loved Unsolved Mysteries. And then uh, as I got older, I realized this is kind of weird. I probably shouldn't bring this up in public. And then I found podcasts, and I felt more comfortable talking about these things. Um, the way I feel isn't about why those. So, um, so Brianna, I really want to hear from you because you have an entire true crime podcast. So, um, yeah, why are you into true crime? Why do you enjoy it? Um, and what is your podcast like specifically for the listeners? Well, my podcast is Murder Dictionary, and we go through the alphabet and choose a topic each week following the alphabet about true crime. So we started with like axe murder and brothers that kill and copycats. And we just explore from all different angles. We do a few different cases. We look at the psychology and we look at some statistics and some cultural impact and try and look at uh, the overview of just one part, one aspect of true crime. And I think that that kind of speaks to what interests me is I'm, I'm all about what's behind it and what the motivating factors are. Yeah, I think that I'm on that page of being interested in psychology and uh, childhood trauma, anything that caused someone to escalate to being a killer, that's what interests me. Because I think that's where the solution is. And that's why I'm intrigued. I'm like, what can we do to prevent this? What sort of services are out there? What sort of um, therapy can we get people, medication, or any sort of way to solve this, you know? Um, it isn't just about solving cases to me, it's about getting to the root of it and finding something that makes it better, you know? And I think that what I, why I really got into true crime though, is because I grew up in LA in the 90s. <laughs> Ah. When it was just like OJ and the Menendez brothers and just yeah. so much going on. And then as I got older, I already had that foundation of seeing some of the first really big high profile cases that were like publicized trials all day long that were in my area, you know, so that kind of like plants the seed, you know, and then as I got older, I was just like, okay, how much forensic files can I get into? 
you know, like, and just like seeing yep. just all the episodes of every true crime thing ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm with yeah. You there. So I have two questions for you. Yeah. Uh, one, since you said you go through the alphabet, what did you guys use for the letter Q? We haven't got there yet. We're on <laughs> oh. O right now. So oh. if you've got any suggestions, send them my way. <laughs> Is there a quilting murder? Not that I can <laughs> We were and thinking about quadruple homicide, but it's just, I don't know. Maybe that's too simple. I don't know. No, that actually. I was thinking of something to do with questions. <laughs> I've never I've never heard anyone yeah. under that quadruple homicide being too simple. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they just did this. That's the kind of jaded thing that happens when you're a true crime podcaster. <laughs> you're like, quadruple, that's just a little too simple for me. <laughs> and my second question, you talked about, like, I guess, solving the crimes and everything. Are you more fascinated the cases that, that have been solved or the unsolved cases? Oh, I feel a little guilty for this, but I'm not very into the unsolved cases. And I feel so bad because they're doing such wonderful work to actually make progress, to find solutions, find, you know, suspects and close these cases. But a lot of them I'm not that into. I'm really interested in looking back at ones that are already solved, where we have some of the answers and we can pull out information from there and learn from that, you know. Now I feel like a bad But I think they're doing great work. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a bad person because I think the unsolved ones more intrigue me, I guess, yeah. between either A, were they more sophisticated and they're intellectually able to actually outwit and not be caught, or was it just random luck? I hadn't thought yeah. about it that way. With, with unsolved things, like, did this person, like, really get away because they outsmarted everybody, or did they just get extremely lucky? Because I, I think that there are, like, some cold cases that are cold for like 30 years and then all of a sudden like you have this random person pop up and it's like oh wow you really didn't mean to get away with it you just lucked into your <laughs> your status and that's terrifying once you really get into true crime yeah. it's just like how many people just get away with things because someone's not paying attention you exactly. know and that's just scary. I yeah. guess maybe that's why I don't like listening to it. <laughs> yeah. I actually can't. Um, I mean, I was going to bring it up a, a little later on, but I, I guess like so far as like stuff that I can't listen to, I don't like listening to sprees. I can't listen to um, things about spree killers because in my mind, like there's no way for me to avoid it. <laughs> yes. Like, it, it's that. like, that's what terrifies me. And I think that's like the, because I know a lot of people ask, they're like, you must have like a strong stomach listening to this. You must be unfazed by everything. And I think for a lot of true crime people, I mean, there are some of us out there, but I do think a lot of us do have a lot of empathy to the situations. And that's one of the reasons why we listen to it. And I think there's something for everybody that they won't listen to. Oh, sounds good. Absolutely. So, so how about you Yeah, you get exactly feedback from people too about that, about there's certain things that they're just like, nope, that's just too much for me, you know? Yeah. And I know it's been kind of embarrassing, but Kelly and myself have, have come to tears on the show and gotten a little choked up because it's not that it doesn't affect us. It really, it does affect us a lot and we have a lot of empathy and it just, um, a lot of it's very sad, but um, I don't know, some people assume that that's not the case and it, it definitely, it definitely is. We definitely feel it. Yeah, and, and I think like this is a really good way to transition into the history. Um, because a lot of the time people in the true crime community kind of get singled out as, you know, being callous or jaded, which I mean, there are certain like quadruple homicide, like 
there, there are certain things that we're used to talking about, but it doesn't mean we're not affected, you know, once we learn about them. And we're not that much different than the general public. <laughs> like we are the general public because true crime has actually been a really big genre for a long time. Um, so the genre itself, just so you know while you're listening, the consensus is that it's a literary film and I like to consider podcasts because it's a dominating podcast genre um, where the creators investigate or recount crimes and their details. And in these retellings, they do research about the crimes that actually happened and act and the actions of real people and um, or tales of survival from real victims. So we're not dealing with, um, you know, law and order stuff that's ripped from the headline. So it's kind of close, but it's not the actual case. In true crime, you have people actually dissecting the case, retelling it, and um, going through it. All that being said, the fact that it has to do with real people is the crux of any true crime work, um, specifically with like the literary genres and er, the literary genre and the fact that like although murder and serial killers tend to dominate the genre, um, post Silence of the Lambs actually. So but around 1993 is when you really have this fascination with just murder and, and serials. Um, but you also have a lot of other subgenres within true crime like police memoirs, uh, first responders, and uh, 911 operators have actually started doing their own podcasts as well. Um, sort of as a response to how it comes off in because some some true crime podcasts will play the 911 audio and it's like oh my god this operator like what are they doing and so in a response to that they've really started you know producing from that other side so you get all angles of what with the people involved um there's like special mob stuff there's abductions psychology like we mentioned um the uh things running on just one case so not a variety court proceedings and then of course um like matt mentioned unsolved crime and that's just some of them like there are total giant niches within true crime it is a giant thing that if you just start googling it and researching it you will go down a hole and be in there for about like five hours i recommend you do it it's fun um but no you're getting that's into <laughs> even before the podcast that was just me like don't interrupt i'm researching for nothing, exactly. but I'm still researching. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, I find myself doing that when I just see like a news, like just a news article that's interesting. I'll go and try to find the other news articles for that. And I want to see if like anybody was involved that I knew if it was in San Antonio and like it, it goes into a giant spiral. But um, I'll be on the other side of the wormhole for this episode, obviously. <laughs> um, so... Although podcasts have cast a giant spotlight on true crime and kind of brought into the mainstream, um, it's been around in the literary world for a really long time. In fact, one of the most well-known books um, written by Truman Capote in Cold Blood is True Crime. And that was in the 60s. And honestly, pinpointing the start of true crime is really hard. I mean, you have sources from the reign of King Henry VIII, documenting the ways that they executed criminals, the cults that they would find. Um, and people were fascinated with this. These were things that were being published and circulated within the townships and within the cities and within the villages. Um, so as long as there has been crime, people have been fascinated with finding out why it happens and who are doing it. 
Um, most notably, I think one of the best start dates is in the 1880s where a lawyer, uh, William Rowhead, Roughhead, he's British and I'm not, so I don't know how to pronounce that last name, attended every single murder trial of significance from 1980, uh, from 18. 89 to 1949, and then published essays on every single one of them. But in the 1920s, you have um, Edmund Pearson's Studies and Murder, which get really, really popular in the United States and kind of bring this genre um, to a giant head. What happens in the 20th century, and it's called like the proliferation of active serial killers, but serial killers have been around for a long time. Uh, it was just easier to kill a whole bunch of people in succession and not get caught in like the 1800s. To kind of put your head in it, you could go to a different city, change your name, and nobody could prove that you were not your new name. As time progresses, it gets a lot harder and you get a lot of our notable people. And in the 60s, so from the 60s to the 90s, you get this really big influx of true crime books. Um, the two most famous ones are Helter Skelter about Charles Manson and The Stranger Be Beside Me um, by one of the largest true crime authors, Anne Rule, um, because she actually worked with Ted Bundy um, and thought he was a very nice guy. And so that book is all about her experiences with that. Um, most people thought he was a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's the scary thing. Um, <laughs> yeah, that terrifies me. Out of this, you move into the mass media age where you have court cases being covered 24-7, like you mentioned, Brianna, with O.J. Simpson and the Menendez brothers and Tupac and Amanda Knox and Casey Anthony and JonBenet Ramsey, who's probably one of the most infamous unsolved crimes where everybody thinks they have a, have a, a theory. And in the past year or two, there have been a lot of documentaries coming out about it. Um, a lot I think of weird OJ ones. did it. <laughs> OJ? <laughs> Sorry. You can't trust OJ. <laughs> okay, um, I'll stop interrupting. <laughs> no, you can totally interrupt. That's perfectly fine. Because um, I was just about to bring up the fact that uh, we still get Zodiac Killer stuff now. And yeah. I know there are some current theories on who that is. It's Ted Cruz. <laughs> it's still okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am sorry. I, I am very. I think those are hilarious, and I find them just. I don't know why I find that so hilarious, even though obviously there's no connection at all. You never know. It could yeah. have been. I, I'm with you. I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, <laughs> well, so we have this fascination that has really been at the forefront of our minds. Like this isn't a new phenomenon. What's happening is people are mo more open about it. So when you're reading a book at your home, you didn't really have a way to really interact with the community of another thousand people who also were reading that same book outside of like walking to a book club. And now with social media, when a podcast comes out, you can very easily connect with the other people listening to that podcast and other people that are super into what you're doing. And it's not just with true crime, like podcasting has given this platform for communities to build. Um, but what podcasting has really done is make it normal to talk about this stuff or not, I don't wanna say normal because it, it, it is a, a very sensitive subject, um, but people can be more open about it. Um, um, 
I don't know. Uh, just as you're talking, I'm, I'm looking through stuff. I'm in the minority here. Um, I'm, I'm finding out. Because, like, you're like, oh, it's, you know, the people or community. I don't know anyone who doesn't like true crime. I feel like I'm the only <laughs> person I know that likes true crime. If you go look at, like, book genre numbers, it's, like, a close to a billion dollar, you know, genre. Uh, all the TV shows you mentioned are super popular. I think I'm just the one who's in the minority here. So it's okay, it's okay, Kate. You can embrace it. It's normal. I think I'm the weird one for not liking it. Well, I like like Dexter and stuff, but I just don't like it when it's happened to real people. See, and I think and that I think I'm like, the weird one here. I think the fact that I have a problem saying it's normal just comes from the idea that like we are talking about people, like we are talking about murder, we are talking about crimes, and we are talking about some really intense stuff. So part of me doesn't want to say it's normal, but at the same time, like all the research I've done is like this, this curiosity for something we don't like, we don't know why people go out and do this. And in a way, I, it's really cathartic to kind of research these things and find out why. Like I would think, I mean, I don't know. What do you think, Brianna? I mean, I, I feel yeah, like, I I'm... like the pervasive feeling is that people conquer their anxiety by facing it when it comes to truth about it, if they look into it, if they hear the pod, it makes them feel less anxious that it might happen to them for some reason. It helps a lot of people that have anxiety, oddly enough. I guess, and I guess too, like looking at the numbers and everything you said, Adrian, like some of the, like some of the biggest TV shows, like America's Most Wanted, Unsolved Mysteries, 48 Hours, The Hunt is actually really good, which is John Walsh's second show and it's i believe it's still on netflix yeah um, even like when, um making uh making a murder was making it was making a murderer yeah, and then, like, a murder, file, like all of those were huge huge yeah. hits and I, was, I felt like i was the only one not watching them don't worry, I, I can't watch any of the oj stuff i think it's just now become like we just need to make money off of this over and over again yeah and that is one of the critiques that at least no i wouldn't say so much well some podcasts I mean, the guy tried to write but, a book, like, about, like, if I would have done it. Well, no, that's from OJ's side. Are you talking about from well, OJ's I think, side? Well, I'm, about, that was, about... I mean, well, I'm talking about the general sense of this whole OJ thing has been, to me at least, like, we're just either from his side or from the other side of, like, we can make money off of this, and it's fascinating So it's people. Yeah, so it's kind of like we know that we can make 10 OJ documentaries, and 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 somebody will watch all ten OJ documentaries. Yes. I say this as somebody who has watched every single OJ documentary on Netflix. By the way, yeah, I, I know that that has been a critique when you move towards like a community, like the way to, the idea that you're commodifying death. Um, with true crime writers, there are actually a law uh, laws in more than a few places that say they cannot um, a person who is committed like you can't make money off your crime. So if you went and you interviewed Charles Manson right now and you tried to pay Charles Manson money from your book royalties, you couldn't do that and you couldn't, like, it's this idea of profiting from somebody's death. And so that's where it gets really tricky um, because where is the line for that? Like, is it just paying the person who committed it or is, like, actually making money from interviewing families? It's interesting. Um, I think the I think with the older cases, you end up with that stuff. But see, I know we were talking about I guess like why people do this and everything. And I guess I kind of was looking at I can't remember exactly, but what I found fascinating, and I don't know how much has actually been in true crime, but was with the uh, Stanford experiments in the seventies with the prison experiments, and kind of how that all like ended up failing. 
mm -hmm. and end up being very like. Can you like elaborate for like people who don't? For I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, that's what I'm uh, saying. Like, can you elaborate <laughs> for people who don't know what the Sanford experiment is? Uh, so. Yeah, that movie is still in my Netflix queue, so I'm not <laughs> sure. Yet. Well, it, well, it's in a it's in the Netflix queue, but it's actually based on basically they they basically they. Stanford prison experiment was an attempt to investigate the psychological effects of perceived power focused on the struggle between prisoners and prison prison officers. And so, I mean, it was conducted in the 70s, and they used college students, and basically they assigned each participant a role, whether you've been an officer or whether you've been a prisoner, and they want to see how, I guess, the power affected these people. And like, it's, like it says here, basically enforced a authoritarian measures and ultimately subjected some of the prisoners to psychological torture. Yeah, so essentially they left a whole bunch of college students, gave them a hierarchy, and then they watched how they interacted with, with, with each other through that hierarchy. There wasn't, like, they didn't have to beat the inmates. They didn't have to restrict the inmates' food. And then it essentially just happened that those in power, the, the people that were granted guard status, treated the inmates completely terribly, unprovoked yeah i and what i was looking why one fascinating because i still have not been able to figure it out for one this obviously failed because people end up being psychologically damaged from this whole <laughs> ordeal but i can't remember exactly i could have sworn at the time they actually had a serial killer either involved or was interviewed within here and i've not been able to figure no, out what okay. his name was or yeah. whether it was based on somebody yeah so it's not the stanford prison experiment okay. but it, it's the unabomber so okay. the unabomber was a student and they were doing um invasive um you feel free to at me if i get this wrong guys from my knowledge because i've heard a few podcasts about it is what they did was he was in a class and in that class you had to go into a room and you were interrogated and in that interrogation they would pretty much humiliate you and it was a way of proving whether or not interrogation worked and what that in that interaction he ended up being broken down so much that it contributed to pretty much hating all of society and sending bombs to people so so i don't know why it's, i always think it's a stanford experiment yeah. even though you should obviously if it's in your netflix queue check that out it is very probably very disturbing but very fascinating yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah so it wasn't the stanford prison experiment <laughs> yes. but it was a basically tldr people did some really bad things in the 70s to find out how the human brain worked and it led to the unibomber and possibly other things we don't know so which is a scary thing because there's like a weird statistic it's like if you go walk in the street chances are you're next to like three people who have killed somebody and it doesn't necessarily mean murder like you'd be like negligent homicide and like that type of stuff but it's it's interesting to think about but anyway looking um, at brianna's face i think she's sleep tight. worried about us <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna sleep like a baby knowing that fact yeah. <laughs> yeah so that was my brief history with some other things this is where we move into the but why those why is this important and the main one is what adrian has asked me why the hell do you listen to this and we've kind of covered it like right before this came up and adrian you have very very uh, wholeheartedly admitted that you are in the minority and i think and this isn't true crime i'm not you know i'm not mixing the genres here but it is crime television so out of the top 10 
television, like longest running television shows, four of them are crime television shows. So Law and Order with 20 seasons, SV Law and Order SVU with 19, NCIS with 15, CSI, um, the OG one with 15. And then right after that, you have Criminal Minds with um, now in their 14th season, Murder, She Wrote with 12, NYPD Blue with 12, Bones with 12, and then you run into like the 10 season stuff, but there's a lot of 10 seasoners. So pretty much like people want to watch this uh, and they want to watch a lot of it. And how many, how many of these are like legit true crime? No, I no. So like they're not. None of those are like actual true crime. No, none of those are true crime. Oh, okay. So that, that's I like a lot of these shows, but they're not true crime. Well, yeah. So that's that's what I was gonna say, and this is gonna lead me into the second one. Um, so these aren't true crime. These are these are just crime television shows. Um, but a lot of them, and I think specifically SVU, a lot of uh, like, I mean, and I say that because I watch it religiously. Still, it's gotten really crazy, but I still watch it. It's the whole rip from the headlines thing. And I don't want to break down like any walls you have with like Dexter and SVU and stuff. But all these crime shows that we're fascinated by, like you even said it, like you can watch this, but you don't want to hear about a real person doing it. Well, serial killers as a, as a subgenre of film and television, most of them are actually influenced by real people. Um, by real monsters like some of these things they really happened um so like obviously psycho and leatherface are um influenced by ed gein also people who listen to true crime i'm not calling ed gein a serial killer he was not a serial killer but he is often lumped in as one do we have a dispute on that or does brianna agree with this that's what i want to know no technically he wasn't because yeah. he was a grave robber first and foremost, and then a murderer, but not technically a serial killer just by the sheer numbers. Yeah, because a, a, a serial is three or more. Yeah, and I think he Spread was over two. Yeah, two. <laughs> oh darn, he fell one short. Yeah, he made <laughs> lamps out of human skin, but the, it was already dead before he did it. So. Right. Um, Not gruesome enough to make serial killers at it. Um, I think I will actually be adding a warning at the beginning of the episode to let people know that this is what we're talking about. Um, kind of funny you say that because now I think of like the uh, Christmas story where they have that lamp, that leg lamp. Yeah, people don't think about the morbid things that are around all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's plastic. It's not. It's not human yeah, it's flesh. So creepy. That you, it's that you so know creepy of. because Ed Gein actually did have stuff like, I mean, he didn't have a full leg, but he had like, uh, yeah. So he had a nipple belt. Exactly. That's what I was going to say, Brianna. Thank you for saying it. <laughs> I'm not sure where we're rating our podcast for this one, but I, I, I think. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. It's perfectly fine because like, I think this is where it gets in that, that difficult territory. Like when you talk about true crime, because of what these people are doing, you automatically talk about this stuff. And he is famous for his nipple belt. Um, but yeah, I digress. Um, so did it go around his waist or like was it? It was found in a box under his bed. But it was a wearable belt. Like it was it was a belt. It's because it was so last season, he had to put it away. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be caught dead wearing it. <laughs> um, also, ooh, ooh, that was a risky Google. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just keeping show notes up for uh, the rest of this. 
Yeah, so I think too, um, for those of you who aren't familiar with true crime, before we go any further, I do want to mention that we are laughing, we are making jokes. Um, this is in no way us agreeing with what these guys did. Um, laughter is a great coping medicine, uh, not medicine, coping mechanism. Um, and it is something that you find with a lot of true crime podcasts, actually. A lot of them are comedy based or pretty lighthearted, um, at least the ones I listen to. Um, and a lot of it is too, is like you can't just go, like if you just go in and if you go in with a dark attitude, talking about dark stuff for at least an hour once a week, and then you top in all like, I, I mean, how much research time do you put in, uh, Brianna? Uh, probably way more than I should. It's like 20 hours of research. Yeah. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot. So it like, it, it's a lot to process. And I think one of the things, especially when you know it so well, um, you ease yourself by laughing. So you say you put in 20 hours of research and you do one show a week. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So I was wondering, with all this research, do you do anything else to hang on to this research? Or do you, like, have a blog or anything? I guess not only for the listeners, but, I mean, 20 hours of research, I mean, that's just a lot of information per week to, I guess, contain. Yeah. I mean, I right now we just put it on the podcast and that's it. I do put my show notes up on our right. Patreon just for people to kind of read through it if they want. But honestly, I'm just so, um, I don't know, fulfilled or interested in the research that it kind of, it's okay to me. It's okay that it's not like multi-platform or it's okay that it doesn't turn into something beyond a podcast. It's just something that I'm interested enough in that I want to do that research. Okay. And I also, once it gets started, I'm like, I don't want to miss a detail. And I don't think it would be right for me to leave something out. So I just keep going down the wormhole. She was wearing red shoes and was on this street. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. It's Absolutely. Completely and understand. I don't know, so much of the coverage of true crime is just basically like, so she's just this blonde white light lady and she was so pretty and that's it. And then she was murdered, the end. And yeah. so often you find that in so many articles that I'm not the type of person to let that go like that. That's not okay to me. So I just keep digging. I could probably get away with doing half the amount of research if I just let that blonde white lady, lady be pretty and that's it. But I'm not willing to do that. I'm just, I want to be more in depth of what they were into, what exactly happened, what happened in the murderer's childhood. I want to get into it to that level. You know? Is that on a victim level or like an actual, like, I guess the killer or per se level? Both. Whatever information I can find on either end is important for me to include. Yeah. And I, I think know? that really, I think that's really important. Um, because like you said, like a lot of these victims are, um, most of them are women. Most of them are sex workers. A lot of them are people of color. Um, a lot, and a lot of them are children too. So, like, you have people that fall into these invisible classes or classes that can just easily be pushed away. And I know for some people, you might be like children. It's like, well, if you're a child of color in a poor neighborhood, there are a lot of situations where they don't look for you. Um, right. It happens all the time. And I think one of the things that that you you bringing that up, Brianna, I think is really important because I think that's one of the big reasons that true crime matters one of the critiques that people have and people that automatically think like oh you're wearing a ted bundy shirt you're glorifying the serial killer but what podcasts um like yours have really focused on and one of the things i really love when i listen to them 
it's about getting that victim's name right. It's about getting the pronouns that that victim wanted, was identified in life by their occupation, what they did, who they were beyond just the outcome of the crime. Um, and that's something that is really important because these are the stories that get lost because unfortunately the media does glorify the serial killer. They give them kitschy names and you know that's all you hear about. You hear about their trial. You don't necessarily hear about what happened on the other end. And I think it's something that I really admired. And it this idea of stopping the silence around these ideas um, has been really important. And this has also led not only for um, the victims, but also investigating people who have been convi uh, convicted of murder, but may have been wrongfully convicted. And you saw this with Keeping a Murder, actually. Um, the the uh, the accomplice, that he was interrogated for a ridiculous amount of hours and pretty much led into his confession. And the outrage over it, and it, it led to a reassessment of the case and he is being released now. Um, so this this attention to detail from all sides is really important towards um, one of the things that got mentioned in the poll that I ran on our Twitter was why is it important? And one of it's changing the system. Um, so podcasts um, like yours, Brianna, as well as um, a lot of the other uh, big ones have stopped using the word prostitute. Um, and they use the word sex worker because um, it humanizes the victims. It lets you know that just because they were a sex worker doesn't mean they deserved what happened to them, which a lot of the time when the media covers it or when you think about it, it's like, well, you should have known that, was, that that's what was going to happen. Um, and so it's about changing this language and helping to slowly change the system to keep this from happening again. Um, and. I really admire it. I think it's one of the reasons that true crime... Sorry to interrupt. Is there a particular reason why sex worker sounds better than prostitute? Um, or either one of you, whoever... <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 I want to give it to you, Brianna, just because I know that it's a conscious choice that's been made. Yeah, I mean, that's why I was just kind of wondering why. Well, honestly, to me, I'm probably... I'm probably not the best one to answer this. I just... <laughs> <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I have a lot of friends that are sex workers and like a lot of them like to be called prostitutes or hookers. I'm just going to be really honest. Yeah. So for me in the true crime genre, I use the language sex worker because I know that universally that's what um, most people prefer or most people um, are going by that language now. However, most people that I know that are actually in the industry, that's not really what they want. But because it seems like there's universally kind of a decision made. I don't know. I don't have the best answer for that, but I do use that language because it seems like that's the best way to put it yeah. now, currently. Yeah. Adrian, what did you say? I'm sorry. Oh, no, it was just interesting that someone made the decision, but the people you know don't like, like are, who are actually in that industry. Yeah, I feel bad even talking about it, but... Yeah, yeah, it just it's... hasn't been my experience. To be honest, I don't know. I mean, we can cut this out, but Kelly and myself met working at a sex shop. Yeah. So I am in contact with sex workers constantly by like all walks of life. And then I have made friends with them because we've worked with this industry for like a decade, yeah. to be honest. So all the women that I know, they never use the word, the word sex worker. They yeah. never refer to themselves or their friends as such. 
but in the true crime genre, that seems to be universally what people say. And I can understand that after so many years in the media, that the words hooker or prostitute or whatever, having such a negative connotation for so long, maybe they just wanted to remove that and kind of uh, reshift the focus because so long those words were used to victim blame. That's the only thing I could come up with. People for people can't humanize as terrible as it sounds because people are terrible. Um, if you hear a prostitute, or if you look at the um, the Casey Mack case, you're a porn star or a prostitute or somebody who is in the the sex industry. It's almost assumed that you should have known that that was going to happen. You were living a risky lifestyle, so that and so by by saying sex worker. It, it emphasizes the fact that this is a job. This, like, you don't go to your job as at McDonald's expecting to, like, go be murdered. I just, My I, to, me, person, uh, oh, I saying, to me, it just feels, I guess, weird because when I hear the word sex worker, I guess, or the, I guess, the connotation of sex worker, to me, that comes off more negative than actually just hearing prostitute. I guess, or even hooker. Because prostitute, I think you're actually working and everything else. Where sex worker, I almost feel like it's almost feels like you were just forced into working. I guess, or like almost mm -hmm. not necessarily like slavery or anything, but like tortured or something like that for like sex. Like traffic. Yeah, like traffic. I guess would be a better term. I think one of the things that bothers me about this, especially like you brought up Christy Mack, and yeah. I just feel like my tactic has been sometimes to not even say at all that they were involved in that industry. Yeah. To me, it's like you were a human being, you were going about your day just like any other person, and this happened to you. It shouldn't matter to us. The fact that the headlines for the Christy Mack story kept saying porn star Christy Mack yeah. just infuriated me. That shouldn't matter. Yeah. You know, what happened to her is horrific, regardless of that yeah. fact about who she is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I apologize so to for me, saying the wrong name, by the way. <laughs> no, no. I knew it as soon sometimes as I said I just, it. But yeah, sometimes I just don't even say that. I go into, you know, the background of their family or some other things that they were interested in because it's like, what does that matter? You know? Yeah. It's just, I prefer not to even say that a lot of times. Yeah, I think it also comes into play, too, when you start talking about people who were, um, who, who were, found with drugs on their body or could possibly have been yes. drug dealers but you can't confirm it like it, it's the idea that like a victim is a victim and you should move past their line of work or what they're involved in because either way they died and exactly things happen to them and they are still a human so i really appreciate that brianna did you have something else oh i just one, I'm trying to think what the Christy Mack thing situation was. Uh, that was, so she, it was with the MMA fighter okay, so that was War a, Machine, okay, yeah, so which War is his legal name, and I'm only going to refer to him as that. Um, I, was making, yeah. I was making sure I was correct. On he what abducted was her, and yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think this cast, like, a really important thing, too, is, like, I think one of the reasons why this matters, like, into the victims as well is seeing them as people beyond just that headline because i remember reading that headline and even now because the the trials like she just got sentenced and stuff like it that's the only thing people harp on um and i think one of the things that the that these podcasts have been doing is moving people past that hopefully moving people past that or at least opening up the conversation um about that 
Yeah. So obviously we're no longer joking about nipple belts. Um, this is, but this is kind of like the ebb and flows of talking about a serious subject, right? Yeah. No, um, I think that there is there is a delicate balance because I think that it's important to speak to people that don't want to be sad all the time about it. I certainly don't want to be sad. I, I joke a lot. Kelly and myself joke a lot in the show. It's not for lack of sensitivity, but it's just a matter of finding a way to bring ourselves up and find a solution and like all of those things we want to be positive, whether it be kind of making a little bit light of things or yeah. kind of suggesting that people find resources or whatever it is, you know, it there is a delicate balance of really representing and um, yeah. getting all the facts out there without getting too heavy, you know. Yeah, and that was something that I wanted to bring up too. Um, one of the other really important um, why, uh, but why those for true crime is mental health. So it has, we mentioned it earlier that a lot of people with anxiety do listen to true crime podcasts and it's been kind of explained as being a way of to like expose yourself to these fears because if you haven't lived with a panic disorder or anxiety, it is literally every single bad thought that you can have about a situation flooding into your brain at one time. Um, Isn't it fun? Yeah. <laughs> it's an exciting emotional roller coaster. Exactly. It's like, how many different ways can I imagine that I'm about to die in this situation? Okay, brain, give it to me in 10 seconds. And it happens so much. And one of the ways that I've actually been able to kind of process these is to listen to this, listen to stuff that has actually happened. Um, and this is where it kind of bridges into why some people choose to listen to stories of survival over just listening to serial killers. They listen to it almost as like a how-to. Like, if I am in this situation, somebody else has survived in this horrible situation, I can make it out too. Now, obviously, this isn't without its critique, because um, much as we can use this to analyze our anxieties and deal with them, overexposing yourself to them can also put you in in a bad cycle of not wanting to be around others and not wanting to involve yourself in social situations because you know of all the possibilities um so there's a there's a there's a balance that goes to it it's a way for people to navigate and find themselves and one of the great things that i love that you guys do on murder dictionary is you point out resources and i know you just mentioned it for people to go to if they're in uh, situations of domestic abuse, depression, whatever is happening in that episode, you all try really hard to give resources for somebody who might find themselves in a similar situation. What made you guys decide to do that? Because obviously not everybody takes that extra step. I think um, it happened sort of naturally where we just kept talking about these things and eventually I was just like, hey, we're covering a horrific case about children. We need to include information about CPS. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair to just not point people in the right direction if they need help or if they need to suggest it to someone else. You know, And I think that people may not use it right away. Eventually, if you do it on every episode like we have been doing, someone will click and say, oh, there are suicide hotlines that I should be calling. You know, there is more resources available to me than maybe I'm using right now and I'm not alone. So it's this kind of solidarity of, of knowing that there's something out there to find a solution. And it just kind of happened naturally. I just, um, now we say it every episode and we give a bunch of uh, different examples of what links we include. 
because I think it's important. I think it's extremely important to not just say, here's what happened, but to just say, hey, if you've seen some signs out there, if you need some help with your mental health, if you need some help with your abusive situation, get help, period. You know, yeah. there's a lot of resources. Since we I think it's a responsibility about, thing, you know. Since we were talking about, I guess, like fears and anxiety and everything, I guess between Kate, you listen to a podcast all the time, and obviously you said you do one, and then you say you put in like 20 hours of research for podcasts. Do you guys actually feel any of these fears or have this cause where you just don't want to go outside? I mean, does it overrun your, I guess, system? I would say for me, I don't have it. It depends on the day. And I think that's something that you'll hear with a lot of people who have to deal with anxiety or depression. Like it, it just gen genuinely depends on the day. Like, am I feeling confident that day? If I'm feeling confident, I'll go out and run and I'm not gonna think about having to make sure that I'm going by the police station or think about the car that's driving by me. If it's not that day, I will think about the stories that I've heard. That being said, it's made me aware, and I wouldn't say that it's made me aware in a detrimental way. Um, I haven't experienced personally the ability to not go into situations, but what it's made me do, and I think this is something that it, it's been doing for the true crime community as a whole, it, it's made me more aware of situations that I can say, hey, this might be something bad. I know that that woman is also walking alone. If I see that guy following her, I will, you know, I will go help her out. I mean, I've been followed in a store by somebody and the photo guy at Walgreens told me, hey, I think that guy is following you and helps me to my car. By being aware of what can happen, I haven't been crippled by it. I've almost been emboldened by it. I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not putting on a superhero cape. <laughs> like I know my limits, but I know that like, hey, if this is happening, maybe I should call the police. Does um, this, um, does true crime stuff like, the stuff that you guys cover is is the majority of this female stuff or is there like a statistic on like the susceptibility for like each gender for true crime and, and stuff like that well, we i'm just generally asking because i i don't watch or listen to any of this stuff so so all those shows i mentioned like 15 minutes ago that are really great women make up the largest audience for that um on top of that 70% of all the Amazon reviews for every single true crime book are women. And the reason that has been given that women are, are fascinated by, I'm doing square quotes here, fascinated by true crime, there's a few. One of them is the gender fear paradox. And it's the idea, so men will actually have a higher statistical rate of being murdered. But when it comes to serials, sexual assault, and abductions, women will suffer those at a higher rate. Well, I was saying they do suffer at a giant rate, but it's also within the statistic that they still fall lower yeah. than the actual rate. It, exactly. It, it, so it is, a, <laughs> it is a smaller area of the general, like there aren't- 10 guys are gonna get killed versus five women, but the, out of the five women, three of them are gonna be sexual assaulted versus one man, but still 10 men die versus yeah. only five women. Where this all comes from is like, you will probably get shot in the street, I have a higher chance of getting abducted and tortured. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's intuitively like that, that's what I'm thinking. 
but I, I just didn't. I just didn't know. I, I figured you guys did some research. Yeah, no, and, and it and it's also stuff every day. So I, I just <laughs> just just curious. My own. Yeah, it also feeds in. There's this also. There's also this idea called the shadow hypothesis. Hypothesis, and so like one in five women will be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. That's a statistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Man, it's that's, really that's prevalent. That's why I figured because yeah, I, I don't and, worry about no, any of that stuff you just mentioned. I don't worry about any of that stuff. And that's just on the virtue of just me being a man who's above average in like size. Uh, but when I'm with my significant other Stefani, like my alertness is like on a whole like we went we went out the other night and every dude who walked by her, I was like, What is this dude? Who is this dude looking at? What's what's this guy want? So I, I was just curious for like so I can validate my overprotectiveness. Whatever <laughs> it's, it's just really all I wanted in the end. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess, Brianna, do you have any insight on it? I mean, man, I don't even know what to contribute. I think that women are really aware of their surroundings because they've gone through so much um, or, you know, they've had a friend that has had an incident or whatever. Um, we've all, everyone who's a woman has been out there in the world, been followed, been uh, pestered, been badgered, been stopped on the street, been harassed. It's just a fact of life when you're a woman. Um, and I think that maybe listening to true crime podcasts or watching the shows and all of that interaction with the true crime community has given me personally a little bit of um, bravery. Again, like you, I don't want to put on a superhero cape. I'm not about to pick a fight with a random person. Yeah. Um, I think that when someone uh, is clearly in the wrong, clearly, you know, um, doing something a little bit shady, I don't have a problem nowadays just being like, hey, this isn't cool, or walking up, like you were saying, with uh, protecting someone's drink. I think that it's important to stand up. And I think that's one of the things that the true crime community kind of instills in people is that spirit of like looking out for yourself and looking out for people around you and being aware of your surroundings. And I think for me in this in this idea of like bravery and, you know, kind of being empowered through something that, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you're listening to the victimization of women. How are you empowered by that? Well, it's because through hearing this, one of the things that's come out of it is, the, and it's from my favorite murder, um, the idea of like fuck politeness. And it, it's the idea that when you look back at women who have fallen victim to serial killers and abductions and just you know, just terrible things and even even like getting killed by your husband or just all these things like there are there's when you look back 2020 hindsight there are moments where that person felt uncomfortable and didn't do anything they were agreeable because we have been taught to be agreeable they were polite because we have been taught to be polite. They didn't file a stalker report because they just assumed that that per like they they weren't going to be rude. And one of the things that has been really talked about is you don't have to be okay with somebody making you uncomfortable. And that for me was really empowering. And one of the things that I've gotten through true crime is this ability like to tell somebody move out of my space so two things one adrian i do find that funny you say that only because of the kind of the fact of you're more likely to be murdered by someone you know than an actual stranger so there's probably a higher probability that your significant other would murder you than actually somebody in the that's going out. The, there is a significantly 
like astronomical. I have an astronomically higher rate to get murdered by Stefani than I do the person down the street, and that's just. <laughs> I, I I'm comfortable with that. I, I know that. So when I open, when I'm, stupid, I'm good. But yeah, I, I... also I was gonna ask. Now I kind of lost my train of thought because I went to that one first. <laughs> Be organized. Because of the, I guess, statistics like we talked about where men are more likely to be murdered. And I know, obviously, women, I guess, depending mainly. Yeah, just more heinous day. crimes than. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Mean, like, and the yeah. end result still the same. But yeah, I was because I know you guys talked about this being empowering. But do you see anywhere along the line? Because you talked about the statistics of like 77% of like these books and like all the shows all dictate towards women. Is there any way in these shows, the way they're portrayed, is there any way like, they're over? I guess making it not worse than what it actually seems and making it more like well it's not overplayed it's the fact that when they're looking at at cases um and Brianna, you can probably speak better on this but when you're looking at these cases the cases that are heinous the cases that gain attention the majority of family annihilators so a family annihilator is somebody who kills their entire family um sometimes they kill themselves most of the time they kill the family it's usually a guy that like that's the statistic. The majority of mass shooters, also men. So like because men also fall into a hyper higher, uh, higher likelihood of being a perpetrator. A lot of the crimes that you pick from, a lot of women are getting murdered. Like it's not overblowing it. It's just the fact. It's not taking into consideration. Johnny was walking down the street, and he got into a fight with somebody, and that person killed them. Like okay. they're like. The intensity of violence against women is really high. Yeah, like I don't, I don't fear any of that stuff. Like on, it's like if if I get in a fight and you know my head hits the thing, like that's a lot different than thinking about you know heinous, like super heinous crimes that happen against women. Yeah, I mean, and Brianna, like at, at, at a higher rate, you know, it's yeah. pretty intuitive. I think. I mean, Brianna, uh, you choose you, uh, you and Kelly choose cases. Like, how how does that work for you when you're when you're looking through cases? I mean, I look for cases that have a big backstory and there's a lot to cover. So when we're looking at those cases and I try to balance it out between genders, between, um, you know, all sorts of backgrounds, because I think that it's important for everybody to be represented. I, um, I think that we do see a lot of violence against women. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot of cases where um, there's violence against men that has a lot of um, intensity and backstory, yeah. but guns against women are just so horrific. And, uh, you know, just telling a story about a bar fight gone wrong or a money dispute gone wrong, it's just very straightforward. So that's why you don't hear very much about it. You know, it's just kind of point, you know, point by point facts and then the end, you know, um, yeah. the ones against women are just so, uh, you know, Present because there's so much there because there's so much history. Yeah, and that's not, and, and I guess I guess that's like a fear. I wouldn't say fear or like that's not something that I like I as a man think about like at all. Like I'm not, I don't walk out the door and like oh this guy this car that just passed by me might you know solicit me and try to like you know chop me up and murder me. Like that's just not going to happen to me. I mean there's a probability it's going to happen, but it's like so so low that I don't even think about it. Just the fact that you guys actually have to think about that stuff puts it on a whole other level of like me getting in a bar fight tomorrow. And I think right. it also goes back to like what Brianna said about like being a woman in the world. Like we're not saying that everybody is going to come up to us and sexual assault us. 
it's even the smaller things like being harassed by somebody on the street or being followed by somebody who is mad that you told them the wrong thing or you ignored them. And like these obviously aren't violent crimes, but these aggressions that happen when you're walking through the world, it already makes you think that this is happening to you at a higher rate. I was just saying, just to bring it back, like, I, I understand now, you know, why you would like true crime if that's the kind of like empowering nature that it gives you. Um, it's just different. I, I would never like get that out of true crime just because it's not, you know, my reality, not something I go through every day. But the fact that you guys do get something out of true crime like that is, is super cool and very interesting. And I'm glad, I'm glad I got to hear about it. Yeah, so I don't yeah, know if no, that answers your question. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't want to say, like, it was bad or being portrayed bad or you guys shouldn't think or these crimes shouldn't be, I guess, highlighted, per se. I yeah. just knew from a numbers standpoint, yeah. it seems to lean one way versus the numbers seem to tell a different story sometimes. To be honest, with all my research and all my effort put in and all the wormholes that I go down, I'm not afraid of being murdered. What I yeah. am afraid of is being afraid. I don't want to walk down the street afraid. Yeah. I don't want to be afraid for myself or any of my friends. So my energy is put into being an advocate for myself and the people around me and just sticking up for people and saying, hey, this isn't okay. Or just telling someone that needs mental health resources that, you know, those things are out there. My, my energy is put into being proactive because the last thing I want is to walk down the street and constantly be afraid. It's one thing yeah. to be aware. It's one thing to be brave and just like turn around and be like, hey, stop. It's another thing to be like, oh my God, I'm going to get murdered at any second. I'm, yeah. I never want to be that person. So I think that, you know, the true crime genre kind of provides that for people where they're like, you know what, if I feel uncomfortable, I'm going to say something. If yeah. I see something going on, I'm going to like step in. Yeah, you I know? think and the that's, of it. that's really important. But yeah, I mean, do you guys have any questions? I did I mean, want to say, like, I did like what you said. Obviously, we will have some editing things, but I did like what you say about, like, not being afraid. Because I guess as much as I was talking about the number side, it seemed like with how she was talking about all the shows portraying that way, that it's almost seeming like they wanted women to be afraid or, like, to come off like that. Yeah. Right? Not necessarily yeah. their goal, but it could come off that way. I think I've, I feel that way about a lot of media, even outside of true crime. Well, like, yeah, I, mean, I like I, watching I to go that news way. a lot of times. So yeah. yeah, I think that it's kind of skewed that way to sensationalize. But um, but yeah. when it's in these little individual communities, like people that are into certain shows, you do get that sense of empowerment, especially when the narrative is taken out of the hands of some random guy on the news just yeah. telling you what happened to some woman when there's women saying hey this is the story this is the backstory and yeah. giving you the information uh, you know it kind of changes the narrative to the point where you do get a little bit of bravery out of it yeah, and, I, and I, I apologize if it came off as, as that like i think it, i definitely want to highlight the fact that like these aren't like making you fearful it's like it I've found a lot of power in them. I, I believe that too. I was probably yeah. more along thinking the lines of what Brianna was saying about like in today's media, everybody seems to yeah. want to do something yeah. like that. And I didn't know if TV and like shows, which is technically part of the media, were playing on that type of role. I think television shows can do that a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think podcasts, because a lot of podcasters are really tied into the community that they're engaging with. Mm -hmm. They're taking suggestions, there's talking with them. They're actively engaging. Like I've been interacting with the Murder Dictionary Twitter account for a very long time since I've been listening to you guys. Like <laughs> there, there's this level of connection with the people that you're talking to 
that you don't really get outside. And it's kind of an acknowledgement because you know what the material you're going through is going to be that way. So, I mean, I guess kind of to wrap up also, there are some great uh, true crime guys as well. I know we, we focused a lot on the importance for women because um, it is, that's one of the biggest, but why those, because we do make up, you know, the largest section of the audience. Um, but the guys at uh, True Crime Garage and True Crime All the Time are awesome. Um, so also want to give them a shout out and the the but why those were highly influenced by the awesome twitter thread that was facil- that was facilitated um by the true crime fam club podcast ah it's about damn crime uh once upon a crime minds of madness uh noel on twitter uh you're awesome and this kind of highlights the importance of the true crime community um within the community to like the community is one of the reasons it matters and i think we've talked about it a lot through like it's kind of been the string throughout all these but why those um there's crime con now where it's a convention just about true crime there's and it's also- put on by oxygen network too oh, yeah. which is interesting and i forgot to bring that up oxygen act which was a channel dedicated to like women-centric programming has actually rebranded itself to be pretty much focused just on true crime like I said, the true crime community itself is actually, like uh, Brianna said as well, like there's been an effort and a push to actively engage with the material that's being talked about, helping people find people, helping people solve crimes, like little private, like I don't want to say private investigators, you actually have to get a certificate for that, but like um, home detectives, I guess is probably a better term. The dedication that they put into certain crimes actually have yielded results for some unsolved crimes. Um, and that's made possible by the community and the ability to spotlight certain issues that may not have been talked about before, um, find different things in the case, theorize, get these things going. Um, some of the communities have also pushed towards doing meetups with donations for certain organizations to help you know, victims of domestic violence, um, donating to get rape kits tested. Um, because there is a giant backlog in almost every single city. Um, and one of the things that true crime has done as well for me, and I kind of, I didn't get to talk about it, but like it's made me realize a lot of the things that can be fixed within the justice system. Um, because a lot of the things that happen, happen because of really small oversights and assumptions that people make. Um, and so the true crime community has really been trying to um, engage with with these ideas. You have people who actually work in forensics, people who are actually lawyers, like it's a very broad base. Um, And yeah, I mean, beyond that, also about mental health, a lot of true crime podcasters are open about what they've done in their lives, what they've experienced, their own issues with mental health. And the, the communities have kind of become a place where it's safe to talk without fear of being stigmatized most of the time. I am not saying that the true crime community is perfect. It's not. There are a lot of issues in it, like any community. But there is a certain air of having a safe space to talk about these things and to get help. So any final thoughts? I'm not even going to bother with myself. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) The thought of, I feel, I guess, horrible in this whole ordeal in somewhat because you talked about, but why those and like dealing with women and a lot of the victims and helping everything I've ever done or listened to or read about true crime. I unfortunately necessarily just haven't really cared about the victim at all. 
and not even like what the person does like Jeffrey like if you use like Jeffrey Dahmer or Holmes or Bundy we kind of talked about whatnot but I'm just like glorifying them but just like said the reasons like why they did it so I just don't ever the victim just been like unfortunately never been a big part of my thought process and I guess listening to you guys, it was like, uh, I feel not shame per se, but. It's okay. I, I don't listen to any of this. So I just feel bad all, all around. <laughs> no, I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, we don't cover a lot of the big, what they call heavy hitters on our show is because I do want to represent everybody. I want to like pull from every community and tell that story. Um, um, I think that a lot of the serial killers have been covered and covered and covered right. and they're interesting <laughs> and I'm very interested in the psychology of it, of course, but at some point I'm just kind of like, yeah, but there's, there's a lot more out there going on. Yeah. Um, and it do give more uh, attention and coverage to the victims. But even, I guess even like when we talked about like some of the family annihilators and circumstances like that, like what made this person snap? Don't yeah. It doesn't matter to me that he happened to either kill three kids or two kids or even zero kids or a pet or not. It was what made him snap. Yeah, and that's I the main motivator for, for me a lot of times is like, that's what I really, really want to know. And it's, you know, often the same answers, but I really want to know what's behind it, you know? Yeah. On the up, like there, there's a space for everybody. So like you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Where's my space, Kate? <laughs> at my little pony Jesus. <laughs> reference to our transformers episode yeah um, i mean i think that especially when it comes to podcasts there's a new show coming like every single day i swear there's a new show out there and so yeah. whatever you're interested in or not interested in you can find and i yeah. think that's one of the things that makes it very you know the community so big is because you don't really have to be interested in what I'm interested in. There's a podcast out there for you. There's probably 20 or 30 of them out there for you, you know? So you're not the only one that feels that way, I'm sure. And there's, you know, a lot of shows out there for you or, you know, TV shows or whatnot. I actually think you would really like last podcast on the left. <laughs> Cause they, fo they focus. I love like they last podcast. That's my favorite one. <laughs> Hail Dean. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, because they focus on that stuff. Like, well, Adrian, any final thoughts? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> I still think it's all weird to me, and I'm in the I'm I'm convinced I'm in the minority in in that fact when it, when it comes to true crime. But I know why you two like it. So I mean, that's that's all that matters to me. It works. It works know. for me, you guys. Um, uh, I think. Brianna, you specifically, I think you're the first person to put it like that. And it, I'm sure a lot of it has to do with you doing an actual podcast and having a voice to kind of get out your message on, like, your love for true crime. But just the fact that you guys do all of, like, the mental health stuff and all of, like, that, that, that extra stuff towards the end and or at the beginning, wherever you guys do it, um, I think that's super important. And that makes true crime a little less weird for me. So Good. Oh, I, I will be referring your I'll be referring you, uh, my wife, to your, your podcast because I'm sure she would love it. <laughs> Perfect. She would. <laughs> Thank <awesome>. you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, Brianna? You can find us at M underscore D underscore podcast at Twitter or search us on Facebook, Murder Dictionary Podcast. And Aww. Instagram as well, Murder Dictionary Podcast. 
Uh, as always, you can find me at OhMyMythRandir on Twitter and Instagram. Adrian? Yeah, you could at me on Twitter for not liking true crime <laughs> at <laughs> SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. I will say this, Adrian, you kind of look like you're just kind of like had your mind blown, kind of don't know what to do, like kind of. Yeah, uh, that's about right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Matt, where can they find you? You can find me at Twitter. Grab my Twitter handle for a second. I'm Paul. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at datm18, D-A-T-T-M-1-8. Awesome, guys. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, as always, rate, review, and subscribe. We want your feedback. And check out our Patreon. kind of don't know how to close up the show. I don't know anything like snazzy. Do you have like a request for outgoing music, Brianna? Oh, man. That gets them every time. Oh, I know. I know, right? I should have thought about this because I've heard it come up before and I didn't have <laughs> anything prepared. Um, did you leave it in the East Yes, oh, I did. <laughs> I want to hear uh, Liver Alone by the Flatliners. Got it. <laughs> there we go. Something that nobody here listens to, but still. <laughs> um, so, and thank you guys for having me. I just wanted to say, oh I really yeah, no, appreciate I, it I, I totally really forgot time. to say thank you for agreeing to come on here. I was like, she's never gonna want to come on our podcast. I'm so happy you did because I love you and your show. So, yeah. Thank you for having me, and I will come back anytime. And we will get Kelly on here with some Shark Week stuff too. <laughs> <laughs>